You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? I, that, well, hold on, hold on. that did not sound too exciting. I mean, we're on a Sunday. I know the Colts play tomorrow, but here we're here celebrating Jesus. Who's excited to be in the house today? Yeah. I mean, God's moving, God's doing amazing things. You don't have to fix your glasses. I'm not Matt, okay? All right, I know I'm gonna let you down for a moment. But, and I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful because you allowed a Pittsburgh boy on the stage. I mean, I bleed black and gold and you let me come here. And I was so excited when Matt called me and said, Bill, would you come and help me out? I said, I would love to. I mean, a chance to be in the city that hosted the greatest tackle in NFL history. I mean, do you remember that game? I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> I, was, I was so excited. Okay, don't boo me off the stage. Come on, it's gonna be okay. I mean, I knew you were a loving church. I, you know how I know that? Because your lead pastor's a stinking Browns fan. I mean, seriously, guys. I mean, Browns are the definition of confusion. They name their team after a color, their fans bark like dog, and their stinking mascot's an elf. I mean, come on. You've gotta be a loving church if you allow that in this place. I mean, seriously, but, but no, seriously, I'm just giving Matt a hard time. I love your lead pastor, Matt. He is an amazing man. He and I go a long way back. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Matt is truly wonderful. And I am so excited about your church and the future of the church. I believe you are on the forefront of something amazing here at Kingsway. You know why I believe that? Because I know your lead pastor. I know, I see the leadership that you have in this church. And friends, you should be super excited for what is on the horizon of Kingsway and what's about to happen. God is truly on the move. He is on the move in this church, in the city, and all throughout the world. And here's what's the beautiful thing about it all. You know what the beautiful thing is? We all have a part in God's story. We all have a part in what God wants to do. God is writing a story and you have a role in it. I have a role in it. Every one of us has a role in it. I don't know what you were going through when you walked into this place, whether it was a good day or a bad day, whether you walked in and saw the rain and you were excited to sing in the rain or it brought gloom and, 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 and disappointment. Whatever you walked in this place with, whatever emotions you had, I pray my hope is that when you walked into this place, you experienced the loving God who died for you, who gave up his life for you. And he wants you to know something. No matter what you're going through, no matter what is going on in the moment of your life in this, in this time, he's writing a story and he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a part of it. And that's what we're getting into here as we start the Gospel of Luke. But I realize it's hard to see our part in God's story because life is stinking messy. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And then you add on to all of that the expectations we have of what we want life to be, of how we think life should play out for us. And oftentimes, if you're like me, my expectations rarely match reality. And then I'm just left disappointed. And what now? 
And let me introduce you to the beginning of our journey in the Gospel of Luke with a man by the name of Zechariah. Check this out. In Zechariah, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. To give you kind of a backdrop, backdrop on this story and what's happening in this moment. See, Zechariah, we're introduced to this man this named Zechariah who's a priest. And at that time, the priests were divided into 24 divisions. And of those 24 divisions, every division went to serve at the temple twice a year. And so here we are, Zechariah's division, it's their turn to go serve at the temple. And here we are introduced to Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, and the Bible defines them as righteous. In other words, they lived a life trying to please God in every way that they possibly could. They wanted to follow God as best as they knew how. That was their focus. And not to get you overwhelmed with the word righteous, because we, sometimes we hear these Bible words and, and we're kind of sitting back and like, hey, that sounds really cool, but what does that mean? You know, righteous is just basically meaning being right before God. So when you see the word righteousness, that's what it means. Their aim was to be right before God. And so what we see here is that righteousness should be our spiritual aim. That should be what we're driving for, what we're running after, what we're longing for. It's the primary focus of our existence. You exist and I exist primarily to achieve righteousness. But here's a problem. We get in the way. If you're like me, our heart gets in the way. Our mind gets in the way. Biblically speaking, our flesh gets in the way. We get sidetracked from our mission, from our primary focus. Our primary focus of being right before God, of running towards and chasing righteousness, we get sidetracked to a chase and a pursuit after happiness. Guys, we've been led to believe by the society we live in, by the world we're in, that our primary pursuit in life is to be happy. That's what we've been led to believe. And sadly, too many of us, and myself included, I'm standing here acknowledging, I'm just like you guys. We've been led to believe and we get caught up into the pursuit of happiness. Whatever can make me happy. This has been the struggle for mankind from the very beginning. You know, when God created everything that was in the garden, he said everything was what? Good, right? Or perfect, that was good. It was good. Everything was good. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. I mean, just imagine, you didn't have to pull any more weeds. I wanna burn my chicken anymore. Life was good. But there was a problem. Adam and Eve revealed the heart of all mankind, and that heart is this. At some point, we all get sidetracked after the pursuit of righteousness to pursuit of happiness. And in so doing, what happens is we neglect or overlook everything that we do have, everything that God gave to us. I mean, imagine, for, if you will, the garden. Everything was there, hundreds of trees of goodness. 
And rather than seeing everything they did have, Adam and Eve lost focus of that and quickly turned their attention to what they did not have. And we do that all the time. That's the problem with the pursuit of happiness. We're never satisfied. We're always looking for what we don't have. We're never satisfied with what we do have. And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They quickly became unsatisfied. And Satan began to work in their minds that God's holding out on you. He's not really giving you everything that you possibly could. And then they ate that fruit. You know the story. And as soon as they ate that fruit, the sin and decay and death and brokenness just slowly filtered throughout the world. And at that moment, something even more significant happened. You see, when God created Adam and Eve and mankind, he created them in his image. In other words, our identity was completely found in the God who created us. And as soon as death and brokenness and sin came into the world, mankind lost their identity because we were always created to fully find ourselves in him. That's how we were created. And now in this moment, we lost it. And all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, you see the constant chase. Every person, as you read their story, you see them wrestling with the same questions. Who am I? Why do I exist? Why am I here? What am I all about? And all throughout the Bible, we see God chasing mankind saying, it's me. It's always been me. Find who you are in me. Will you just turn to me? And we will go through the Old Testament. We see them trying to find who they are, trying to pursue God through the temple and just in the work. And fast forward in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he gave the ultimate opportunity for us to find ourselves truly in him through his death, burial, and resurrection. That now when we turn to Jesus, my identity is not in the pursuit of Bill or you or in our happiness. My identity is in the pursuit of Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's the journey. That's the pursuit of righteousness, to find ourselves in the very presence of the God who created you, who loved you so stinking much that he died for you. Think about that for a moment. How desperately he loves you. How desperately God is fighting for you every day. Every day. But we get sidetracked. Like Adam and Eve, we're never satisfied. We're always adjusting the pursuit, our heart from the pursuit of righteousness to, to the pursuit of happiness. But happiness never sustains. Happiness never lasts. Happiness does not last. It doesn't stay. It, it always disappoints. You know, when I was a teenager, I, I played football. In order to stay in football and stay healthy and in fit for football, I used to run 5K races. Guys, I know it does not look like it now, Okay. I get it, but I used to run 5K races. And this one 5K race, me and my buddy signed up to run it. And it was the first mile of this race was completely downhill. And let me be honest with you. When you see a big boy like this going downhill, you better move out the way because a steamroll is coming. And a steamroll was coming in this moment. And I was flying down that hill and I got to the bottom of the hill and I looked at the clock at the bottom of the hill at the first mile and it read five minutes and 30 seconds. I know some of you guys are thinking, that's all you ran. But for a big boy like me, 
That was amazing. And I finished that first mile and I started that second mile. And I remember all through my head, I was like, I'm awesome. I am a stud. I can do this. Best 5K I've ever ran in my life. It's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna kill it today. And I circled around and I wasn't thinking wisely because I got to that last smile, which, oh, by the way, was up that same hill. <sighs> Ones are good, my friends. What I thought looked pretty became pretty stinking ugly. I mean, that was a killer. And that's just what happiness is for us. Happiness looks good on the outside, but it's bitter on the inside. Happiness is that thing that we pursue, that it looks good and that first smile is like, it's awesome, it's amazing, it's everything I hoped it to be. But that same hill that you thought was gonna give you everything you wanted is the same hill that begins to destroy you. It's the same hill that begins to beat you down. You know why? Because happiness never sustains. Happiness never lasts. It's good today and gone tomorrow. And all you do if you pursue your happiness, if that's your primary focus, you're never gonna be happy. You're gonna live a life that's miserable because you're never satisfied. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, you're gonna forget what you do have and you're gonna constantly look into what you don't have. And, and here's a struggle I have, guys. Can I just be real for a moment? I fear that we as a society, as Christians in this, our society, have gotten so sidetracked. We've gotten so sidetracked. We've got caught up in the world pursuit of happiness ourselves, and we've got sidetracked. And, and we think that our life is built upon, well, what's my GPA if I have a great GPA? Or, boy, look at my kids and all the activities they're in and everything that they're involved in. And look how great they are. Look how high I'm climbing the corporate ladder. And we just build our life on all these things that we feel will give us happiness. And we just overwhelm our lives. And every one of us is overwhelmed in our living. Our calendars are full. Our bank accounts are empty, all because of our pursuit of happiness or the things we think will bring us happiness. If I achieve this, then I will be happy. And we completely lost focus of what it's all about. And we live such busy lives that then when the church says, we need your help, will you jump in and help? Can you serve here? Can you give here? We say, I'm just taxed out. I'm too busy. But my friends, can I be real with you? Busyness is not the sign of a successful life. Busyness is a sign that your life is out of control. And too many of us are living lives completely out of control because of our pursuit of happiness rather than our pursuit of righteousness. And I look at our country and I see a country that was built on the backs of sacrifice. And I read the gospel and I read the story of the Bible and the Bible and I see a faith that's built on a foundation of sacrifice. And then I have a tenacity to say, I've got nothing to give. I can't do this. I'm not willing to give something up when everything I have is on the back of sacrifice. Everything of my existence is on the back of sacrifice. How dare I say, 
I can't give anything more. I don't have enough in this moment. And then before you know, because we pursue righteousness, our lives are just gobbled up in misery and disappointment and unsatisfaction. We're never satisfied. And then, because we're so disappointed with life and the world around us and the culture, I mean, I get it. This world's not a great place right now. And we're constantly looking for someone or something to blame. Well, look, they're at fault. Look, the government's all messed up. Can I just be real? The government didn't fail us, friends. The church has failed. The church has failed. Because we've lost focus of our ultimate purpose, and that is to pursue righteousness, not pursuing our own happiness. We want God to bless us while we chase happiness. It's like, God, bless me while I live life on my terms, but we always find ourselves in misery. But here's the cool thing. We want, we, when we chase righteousness, there we find a joy that sustains, a joy that lasts no matter what comes our way. And maybe you've heard this acronym before of how you can truly obtain joy. It, it's easy, Jesus, others, yourself. Have you heard that before? Yeah, it's the way we're supposed to live. I live in such a way that I pursue Jesus and then serve others, and then I find what, what makes me happy. I, I, I fulfill myself. But the world teaches us to flip that upside down. You chase what you want in life. You chase your own happiness, and then when you have time, then you can serve others, and whatever God you serve, then you kind of, kind of fill that in. But then that's just the path to misery and disappointment and unsatisfaction, but I dare you, it seems so countercultural to our world because it is. But if you flip it around and you live in a way that God teaches, hey, serve him, pursue him, serve others, then take care of yourself, I promise you, you'll find a joy no matter what life brings your way. That was the pursuit of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were on this pursuit of righteousness. That was their mission. And here's the wrestling match we all find ourselves in. We, we have our expectations of how things should be, of the way things should play out. And then when reality hits, it never goes the same way. I mean, how many of you guys have hosted Thanksgiving this past week, right? And you all had expectations of how you wanted to go. And some of you are sitting here probably still fuming because of your expectations were not met. The turkey maybe was a little dry. You had some family dynamics that you really wish those family members would have stayed at their house. I know, come on. Because sometimes reality clashes with expecta our expectations and it just leaves us disappointed. Allow me to introduce you to Zechariah and Elizabeth. That was them. That was them. You know, the Bible says they were righteous. They were faithful. They did everything they good to, good to follow God. But, don't you hate when the big old butt gets in the way? But, the Bible says they were childless. She was not able to conceive because of her old age. In other words, it was humanly impossible at that point for her to have children. She couldn't. She couldn't. To put ourselves in their mindset, they were disappointed. I'm sure there was moments in their life and their journey when they were just completely disappointed with God. Maybe threw their hands up, God, I've given you everything. I've served you. And I can't even have a family. Can you even have this? Everybody else has this, why not me? Why are you holding out on me? 
Guys, do you, who in here struggles with that? Who here struggles in those low points of life when you just feel so disappointed with God? Come on, we've all been there. And I'm concerned that maybe some of you are here, there in this moment right now where you're just so disappointed with God because you feel like he let you down. Because life stinks. You know, can I just be real with you? Sometimes life will disappoint even when we remain faithful. But hear this. Life may let you down, but God never will. He won't. He's always moving. He's always working. He's always working behind the scenes. And for Zechariah, as we turn back to his story, the Bible says that he went to work. He went to serve in the temple. Look at verses 8 and 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. You see, at that time, when it was their division to turn, then they would cast lots, like rolling the dice. Who's going to serve? Who's going to be the one? And it was their way to determine who is God determining, to, who's God picking to go into the temple. And the Bible says that Zechariah was chosen. This is powerful because here God is revealing and highlighting that he is working behind the scenes every step of the way. He's writing his story through Zechariah. Zechariah was chosen. It was a divine appointment. God was working in this moment. So let me encourage you, my friends. Don't lose hope when life disappoints you because God is always working. He's working. And you have a God who loves you, who is fighting for you every day. Every day. And even in the middle of disappointments, God guides our path to write his script through us. The Bible says that all things work together for good of those who love him and those who pursue him. It doesn't say just it'll work out for good. No, when you love him, when you pursue him, God will write out his story through you. That's the good. You get to experience his presence. And I love the power of what's about to happen in the story. Look at verse 10. It says, when the time of, for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. You see it? All the assembled worshipers, everybody gathered around. When Zechariah went in to serve, everybody gathered outside for focused prayer on the mission of God. They were united in his mission on their knees in prayer. Don't overcomplicate the simplistic. There is power in prayer. There is power when we just pause our day and get on our knees before the throne of God. When we submit to his authority and his lordship and say, God, it's not about me, it's about you. And today I give it all to you. And guys, I, it breaks my heart when I people say, well, you know, my, my faith's private, I keep it to myself. Guys, Jesus did not die on the cross to be your secret friend. He died on the cross so you can live a life for him in this world. He needs you to live out your faith. This world needs you to live out your faith. Fathers, your or parents, your kids need to see you praying. Husbands, your wives need to see you praying. This world needs to see you pursuing Jesus desperately. 
You want to change the world? Pursue him. Pursue him. And everybody here was praying. And God invites us to be a part of his story through prayer as we approach his presence. And this is the trifecta of God writing his story. It's, it's right here in Zechariah's story. It, Zechariah was faithful. He did not give up. He kept moving. He kept walking. Even when he didn't get it, even when he didn't understand it, even when he was frustrated, he kept his faithfulness towards God. And Zechariah, along with everybody else, focused together in prayer. And then they found themselves in the presence of God. You see, my friends, faithfulness coupled with focused prayer leads us to the presence of God. And in his presence, the doors are open to experience his glory. And the part, our part in his story is the trifecta. See, as we go on in Zechariah's story, he was faithful, he was righteous, but he was, they were childless. And then there's the then. I love the then in the story. Verses 11 through 13. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call him John. In this moment, Zechariah was approached by the presence of God through an angel. The Bible says the angel was at the right side of the incense altar, which means favor was coming. Goodness was coming. And Zechariah was broken down in fear. Here we see the reality of reverence towards God, of fear towards him. It's the acknowledgement of his authority that God is life. God is truth. God is the way. He is the ultimate authority in my life. And here we see him gripped with fear, highlighting the reality of authority in his life. And I fear, friends, I fear because of our pursuit of happiness, we've lost the reality of God's authority in our life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to God except through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is the ultimate authority. And all things of life come through him. And here we see Zechariah gripped with fear. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And this is the moment. This is the moment we see beyond the priest Zechariah. And we see the man Zechariah. I think sometimes because of our pursuit of happiness, we build these walls of the people we want to portray ourselves as. You know, there's a psychology on Facebook. I see it. We try to pro proclaim to the world on Facebook, my life is good. But then when we go away from the computer screen, we know the reality. And we try to put up these walls of who we think we are, of what we achieved, of, and, and the highlights of our life. But God sees your heart. God sees you. And here God saw Zechariah in his heart, his brokenness. And the angel says something, just, it just spoke to me when I read this. Your prayer has been heard. That's so powerful to me. Because here I see the reality that Zechariah must have been praying for years. 
I can only imagine because I've been there where you're at night, you're all alone and you're just broken on your knees. Tears are flooding. You're just so overwhelmed with life and you just don't know how anything's gonna turn out and you're just God pleading, God, please, do you hear me? Are you there? And sometimes you walk away and you just feel, God, I'm disappointed because it feels like I'm just shouting out and you don't listen to me. But here Zechariah, or the angel acknowledges to Zechariah hear you. I've been hearing you. Guys, don't, don't lose sight of this. God hears your prayers. God hears you. And he is working behind the scenes for you every single day. And from there, the angel tells Zechariah about he's going to have a son and who this son's gonna be and what this son's gonna become. And, and as the angel's telling him, I can only imagine the wheels are turning in Zechariah's head and he just, he's partly listening to the angel and he's just thinking, this is impossible. How? It doesn't make sense. It, it can't happen. This is not gonna work. It's outside the realms of what's humanly possible. And Luke 1.18, Zechariah says to the angel, how can I even be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is up in years. Guys, husbands, don't say that. Don't go around saying your wives are up in years. That's probably not good. But here's Zechariah in desperation just saying, it's not possible. This is not human poss humanly possible. It doesn't make sense. And I fear how often in our lives we miss out on the spirit of God working because we only rely on what we can explain. And we put God into a box of what we can explain. And then beyond that, we say it's not possible. When God's the creator of everything that is rarely works in the realms of what's possible to us. And he was never meant to be in a box. In fact, the world tried to put him in the box and he broke out of that box three days later. Don't put the spirit of God in a box. Don't give up on the spirit because you think you can't explain it. Because guess what? You probably can't. You probably can't but God's still working. Verses 19 through 20, as we wrap it up, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day has ha till this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Do you see the words, the first words? I stand in the presence of God. Everything of God working is built around us being in his presence, the pursuit of righteousness, being there. And Zechariah did not believe, and so he made him mute. It, it was a rebuke, but in Ezekiel, we see this play out. It's not just rebuke, but it's also a sign of God's faithfulness if we keep walking through it. In other words, guess what? You think it's not possible. I'm gonna take away what you think is possible, what you think you can even do so that you can see me working. You can see it's not you. And then Zechariah went out and he went to the people who were all out there praying and he couldn't speak. And we see the first so times of sign language and he signs to the people what happened. They all realize something amazing happened. And there in that moment, we see the reality of God's people gathered together. The encouragement that happens. You know that 5K race? That last hill, that was a doozy. I was too big of a man to make it up that hill. And I pushed everything I had. And I was quarter of a mile, half a mile. And 
When you're in that uphill battle, when you realize this hill I thought was my victory is now becoming my defeat, and it's just beating me up. I can't do this. I can't make this. It's impossible. And I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. But my buddy Mike, he was faster than me. He finished the race. And I was a quarter of a mile away from finishing. And at that moment, I was, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not making it to the finish line. And it was at that very moment I heard echoing from the hilltop. Bill! Bill, I see you. Don't you quit, Bill. Don't you dare quit. You keep running. You keep running. And he kept running with me every step of the way. He hollered, he yelled, he encouraged me until I crossed that finish line. You see, we need each other. There is power in the unity of the believers. When we gather together and we are together collectively focused on the pursuit of him and his righteousness, God shows up all the time. You know what that means? Yeah, give it up for him. That means every one of you sitting here and watching online, you have a part to play in this story. What God wants King's Way to become includes you. It needs you. God wants you to be a part of that story. He wants you to work through all that. Which means it comes to our time to look in the mirror. It's time to stop passing blame on everybody else or in the society of why the world's all messed up. It's time for us to look in the mirror. Rather than pursuing happiness, are we pursuing righteousness? I want you to wrestle with some questions today. First question is, am I faithfully serving? Am I faithfully serving? Are you on a team here at Kingsway? Are you serving in a ministry team in some way? If not, what team are you going to join? What team will you join? Because Kingsway needs you. You, have, you are gifted and you've been given talents by, the, by God the Creator to be used for services, to build up the body. And when you come into Kingsway every weekend, I hope that you stop asking the question, what will this church give to me today? And I hope you start walking into this building every week and you begin to ask the question, what am I giving to the church today? because the church is the people. And when we live in such a way where we're serving the people, the church, it it happens. All your needs get met. You know why? Because everybody's a part of meeting each other's needs. That's the way God's designed it. But when we walk in here with the heart of pursuing happiness and what's in it for me today, you're gonna walk away disappointed and someone that you were supposed to bless is gonna be walking away disappointed too. Where are you gonna serve? Second question, do I spend daily time in focused prayer? Are you making it a habit of your life every day to get on your knees before the throne of God? God, I need you. I give it to you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I may not always feel it or see it or understand it, but I give it to you. And I'm gonna encourage you as you pray, the leadership of this church needs you. Just like the people outside were praying for Zechariah, you should be every day praying for this church and the leadership of this church. It needs to happen. God works through the power of prayer and he invites you to be a part of it. And third question, do I make daily time to be in the presence of God? Our calendars are so full of all the stuff 
that is the pursuit of our own happiness, that sometimes God just kind of gets left out. Why don't you try to make a calendar focus of God every day? If you haven't done it before, it doesn't matter if it's, it's five minutes or an hour. The, pro- the, the important thing is that you make it a habit. Make it a habit to be in the presence of God and be in a group. I don't even know what you call your groups here at Kingsway, but get in a group. If you're not in a group, get in one. Because we need each other. You need others, and someone else in this room needs you. We need each other. As I said a little while ago, everything that we are was built on the foundation of sacrifice. And right now, we're coming into our time of communion. And I just encourage you to take out your juice and your wafers, what you got when you came in. If this is your first time at Kingsway, I hope you were blessed. If this is your first time experiencing communion, this is an opportunity for us to come into the presence of God. The bread represents the body of Christ and the blood and the juice represents his blood that he poured out to give us freedom, to free us from death, slavery and brokenness. It's an opportunity for us to pause from everything going on in the world around us and just be in the presence of God. So right now, I just invite you into the presence of God. Experience him today. Reflect on the sacrifice that he gave to you on the cross. And as you reflect on his sacrifice, ask those questions. And ask this question, God, do I live in such a way that honors the sacrifice that you gave? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And right now we humbly come before your throne. We bow before you. And Lord God, you, you gave up your life in a gruesome and horrible way to give us the opportunity to find ourselves in you, to find life in you to find freedom in you. And right now, as we take communion, the bread that represents your body and the juice that represents your blood, may we remember your sacrifice, but may we also reflect on our own life. Lord, forgive us for our own pursuit of our own happiness. And may at this moment, may we make a declaration in our hearts and towards you that we want to pursue you fully every day and experience you. And may we live in a way, we're not perfect, but Lord, may we strive to live in a way that honors you and honors the sacrifice you gave. Lord, we praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.